So Luke chapter 5, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. So it was that as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest. And make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear, and to to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralysed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed 
And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Let's come before God in prayer and ask for his help to understand it. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we praise you for this truth of your word. These wonderful stories. These stories which are historically true about our Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us today as we seek to learn from your word that you would help us to understand and to believe and to put your word into practice in our lives in the weeks and months that lie ahead of us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us because we are weak and frail. We need your help, O God. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, Uh, I'm sure some of you can remember the 1990s. Uh, For some of the young people here, it might seem like a history lesson a long time ago, but a lot of us can remember the 90s. And back in the 1990s, there were a load of shows on television where a person would have a makeover. You remember those kind of shows? They would go on and they would be transformed simply by changing their clothes and having their hair cut. I'm sure there's similar shows on, on TV today. I don't watch them. I do like those home makeover shows. Um, there's one I really like called Alaska Homestead Rescue. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. Um, it, it's where this family from Alaska visit people around America who are, are trying to live off grid, to live off the land. Uh, and the Alaskans help them out. They're like experts in off-grid living. And so they help transform these failing homesteads into successful homesteads. And there's also this other show uh, where this one woman hangs out by the dump 
and she takes people's old stuff and she turns it into something that can be sold for profit. I think it's called Money for Nothing. You've maybe seen shows like that. They take someone or something that that is old or, or not looking good, something that's not working the way it should, at least according to the producers of the show, and they turn it around. They change it into something unrecognisable. It's the same thing or the same person that was there before, but it looks like something totally new, totally different. I think that's an illustration of what's going on in our passage today. Today, we're looking here at the mission of Jesus. And he's in the early phase of his ministry. And what we see in the things that Jesus does in Luke chapter 5 is that he turns things around. He, he changes things completely. He makes things brand new. He takes the old and he turns it into something new. And we see this, I think, in three ways in our passage. But the third way is actually an explanation of the other two. And so we're going to do something a little unusual today. We're going to begin at the end of our passage. We're going to first of all look at the meaning of Jesus's mission. And we find that in verses 33 to 39. And then I hope that will help us understand what's going on in the previous sections in the miracles of verses 1 to 26. And then with Matthew in verses 27 to 32. So first of all, we're going to think about the meaning. Verses 33 to 39. Jesus is asked, why is it that John's disciples fast, but his disciples do not? And Jesus describes himself as a bridegroom and basically says, I'm here, so they don't need to fast yet, but there's a time coming when I won't be with them and they will fast then. And then he goes on to tell this parable, a parable about old cloth and old wineskins and new cloth and new wineskins. And he explains to them that new fabric patches don't go on to old clothes. What you would end up with there is a a new garment that's been ruined to get the patch and an old garment that won't be properly fixed because the fabrics won't match. Likewise, he says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. If you did, the wine would continue to ferment, gas would be given off, and the old wineskin would crack with the expansion. And you would end up spilling the new wine and ruining the old wineskin. The meaning for us is that the new and the old are similar to each other, but they're not compatible. They might both be garments or they might both be wineskins, but but mixing them up leads to disaster. And I think that really helps us understand the rest of the chapter. I think Luke has put it here at the end of the chapter for an explanation. Jesus is saying he has come to do something new, something different. It's not completely unconnected to the Old Testament. In, In fact, there's lots of ways that it's similar But the mission of Jesus is something new. It's different from the old. And so with the coming of Jesus, things are going to change. The world will never be the same again. He's going to take the truth of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he's going to change it into something new and far better, 
something almost unrecognisable from what went before. It's the same thing. It's the same God and it's the same truth, but Jesus transforms it into something new, just like a new garment or new wine. It, it has to look different from what went before. And I think this tells us a lot about the, the mission of Jesus, even as we find it in our own lives. When we become Christians, when we trust in Christ, well, we don't change, do we? We, we look the same. We have the same height, the same eye colour, the same DNA. We, we have the same family and friends. But we're also totally different. We're made into something brand new, a, a new wineskin for new wine. We are changed spiritually. We go from darkness to light, from having a heart of stone to having a heart of flesh, from being a sinner to being a saint, from de- being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ. And so this is the meaning of Jesus's mission. He has come into this world to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness of sins and through it to bring dead people to life, to change people into something totally new. And I think that's really, really good news for us. I spend a a fair bit of time in my preaching trying to show us that we are sinners, how we've broken God's law and, and sinned against him. And that's something I think is worthwhile doing. But the truth is that for all of us, there are things in our lives which we know are sinful. And you don't need me or anyone else to remind you of them. Because they eat away at your soul. They keep you awake at night. You've seen things and said things and done things which you wish you could take back. Things which you wish you could forget all about. The gospel is really good news then. Because the gospel is about how Jesus removes those things from us. And makes us into a new creation. He as the bridegroom makes his bride into something that he loves. Pure and perfect and spotless. We see that radical transformation take place in the first two sections of our passage. So now that we know the meaning of Jesus's mission, let's back up to the start of the chapter and we're going to look first of all at the miracles and then at Matthew. There are three miracles here. We're going to work through them quite quickly. There's a recurring theme running through them. Jesus takes something old and he turns it into something new. So first of all, there's the miracle catch of fish. Now, Jesus is not a fisherman, he's a carpenter, and he's also a preacher. So Jesus knows that one of the best way to to teach people who are gathered on a beach is to go out into the water and to preach from the boat. And he chose Simon's boat specifically and asked him to take it out into the water a little bit. And when he's finished preaching, Jesus says to Simon, you know, let's, let's try a bit of this fishing lark. Go out and let down your nets. You can picture the scene, can't you? If you can't, imagine me going down to the harbour in Kilkeel and saying to the men down there, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Let me tell you how to fish. Or or maybe coming to you 
in your workplace, on the farm or whatever, and saying, let me, let me sort this out for you. Simon Peter tells Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. But we'll take you at your word because unlike me, Jesus is Lord of creation and so of course he does know better than the fishermen where the fish are. They let down their nets, they haul them in and there's so many fish that the boats begin to sink. Peter, realising he is in the presence of a holy God, falls on his knees. And that's what Isaiah did in the passage we read at the start of our service. The holiness of Jesus compels Peter to to fall in front of him out, out of a fear, a sense of his own sin. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And the meaning of what Jesus says there is really significant. What he's doing is he's taking Peter's job and he's flipping it on his head. Normally what Peter did as a fisherman was was to snatch fish out of life in the water to their death. But Jesus says from now on he will catch men, a fisher of men, snatching people who are dead in sin out of their sin to new and everlasting life. You see the flip, the reversal that Jesus has done. He's flipping Peter's life upside down. In the next miracle, Jesus does something similar. We have a a leper who comes to Jesus to be cleansed. And what Jesus does is remarkable. Because Jesus could have cleansed, cleansed this man with a word. But he didn't. He reaches out and he touches the man. Now we need to understand the old thing in order to understand the new thing. Under the Old Testament, lepers were unclean. And even touching them for a moment would make the person who touched them unclean as well. That's the way the Old Testament law worked. Uncleanness was something that spread from an unclean person or thing to another person. But when Jesus touched this man, Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man became clean. Can you see the new thing that's happening here? It's something similar to the old, but it's also entirely different. It's not that uncleanness is spreading. Jesus is spreading cleanness with his touch. It's another reversal. A a fisherman becoming a fisher of men and a leper becoming clean. Jesus makes old things new. And then there's the final miracle in this section. It's perhaps the most familiar to us. This lame man is brought to Jesus. And his friends make a hole in the roof and let him down through it to Jesus. But again, Jesus does something that we don't expect. He does heal the man's paralysis eventually. But before he does that, he makes this stunning statement. You can see it in verse 20. He says, man... Your sins are forgiven you. This man was paralyzed. And Jesus makes a connection between his paralysis and sin. Jesus is is not saying that he is paralyzed because of his own personal sins, but because of the sin in the world. Because this world is fallen in Adam and Eve. Sickness is with us. Paralysis is with us. And so Jesus is demonstrating everybody, to everybody that, that he can remove that. He has the authority to forgive sin. 
And by healing the man's paralysis shows his power and his authority as God of creation and Lord over life and death. And he offends those who are present because only God can forgive sin. And likewise, only God can heal a man's paralysis. And so Jesus shows that he has the power and the authority to do this. He, he is not just a great teacher. He's not just some kind of prophet. Jesus is the one true and living God. He is the son of man, which is an Old Testament term for the final judge. The final arbiter of sinfulness who alone has authority to forgive sin. So the new thing Jesus is doing is a complete reversal of the thing that's gone before. He takes the old thing and he turns it into something new. Peter into a fisher of men. A leper made clean. And the sins of a paralytic man forgiven. Before commanding him to arise and take his mat and go home. Jesus is doing something new. Jesus can take sinners and change them into saints. And then what he does with those people is he commissions them into service in his kingdom, his servants who will be his eyewitnesses and those who spread the good news. That's what we see in the next section about Levi. Jesus is gathering his followers, uh, his disciples, and uh, with Peter, James and John, he has some fishers of men. And now we find him going to this tax collector. He's called Levi, although Matthew's gospel tells us that this is Matthew himself. And Jesus does the thing we, we've seen him do in the previous miracles. He takes Matthew's life and he turns it around. He turns it upside down. Matthew begins as a tax collector, someone who would have cheated people, who would have extorted people out of their money. A, a real figure of hatred that our um, HMRC employees can't even hold a candle to the kind of hatred that would have been had for Matthew. But with just the call of Jesus' word, remember the power of the word? Matthew leaves tax collecting behind to follow Jesus. Jesus does something new. Matthew's heart is changed. He's, he's turned into a new person. And yet as it is with us, he's the same, he's the same guy. He's, he's totally new, but at the same time, his hair hasn't changed, his eye colour hasn't changed, and his friends haven't changed. And so this money-grabbing tax collector becomes a, a super generous party thrower. And, and he invites all his old tax collector friends around. What a wonderful testimony to the power of Jesus. A, a life changed by his word. Shouldn't that be motivation for us? Once we have tasted the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus and his word... Shouldn't we seek to share it with other people? The gospel is not something to keep to ourselves. A person who has, has truly converted to Christ, whose, whose life has been turned upside down by Jesus, should have a desire to see the same thing in other people. Matthew has been totally transformed by Jesus. His first instinct then is to invite all of his old friends over so that they can meet with Jesus as well. Let me try and bring things to a close for today. What we've seen in the lives of all those Jesus has spoken to in this chapter is their worlds are turned upside down. 
Peter, James, John, the paralytic man, the leper, Matthew, all have been totally transformed. That's what salvation is. That's what salvation can be for you. To leave the old behind and be made into a new creation. All those things that you've done that you would like to forget about and leave behind you. That's what Jesus can give you. He can take the old person and transform you into a new person. Sinners turned into saints. But it requires us to recognise our sin and accept that Jesus is the only one who can make us clean and alive. The religious leaders of the day would not accept that. They grumble and they complain throughout the passage. And Jesus, in verses 31 and 32, speaks words of serious warning to them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not saying the religious leaders were righteous because they're not. His point is you need to realise you're sick before you'll go to see the doctor. We need to realise that we are sinners before we will come to Christ for salvation. Now, as I've said, some people don't need convinced of that. You're starving. You're thirsting for grace and God's word is bread and water to your soul. But there may be some here. And do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know how much you need Jesus? Jesus can turn people's lives upside down. He can take a heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. Sinners turn to saints. And he can do that for you. Let me finish with this. A man called William J. visited John Newton. John Newton is the the man who wrote that hymn we've just sung, Amazing Grace. J. visited him close to the end of Newton's life. Newton is an illustration of the turnaround that Jesus can make for us. Newton was once a slave trader, but having met with Jesus, he became a gospel minister. Close to the end of his life, Newton was barely able to talk. His memory was leaving him. And so Jay, visiting him, wrote down some of the words which Newton spoke to him. Newton said this. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Amazing grace that can save a wretch like me, that can turn fishermen into fishers of men, that can make unclean lepers clean, that makes paralytic men to walk. He calls tax collectors and sinners like us. He forgives our sin. He converts us to saints. And he makes us servants in his kingdom. What a great saviour we have. Let me pray for us.